No, I'm not singing tonight. That's um, Jeff, I don't know if you mentioned there are there will be no meeting, no Wednesday night meetings the next two weeks. Uh, next week is July 3rd, and because of the 4th, there's no meeting. And then the week after that is the 11th, and it's Vacation Bible School week, so there will be no meeting that week. I was asked to pass that on. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Psalms. Psalm 23. Very familiar passage. Follow along with me as I read it. I'll be reading from the New International Version, um, so just so you know. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, You have told us that Your Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. But Father, many of us fail to experience Your living Word in our life. We fail to appropriate it. We fail to believe it. And therefore, we we lack uh, seeing the power of it operating in our lives. And I pray that tonight, You would grant us by Your Holy Spirit, out of Your great mercy in Christ, uh, the ability to see things clearly, uh, that we might not have our thinking muddled by our sin or by our circumstances or by distractions, but that for the next few minutes we might be able to focus on Your Word and be enriched and transformed by it. Encounter us in it, Father. Be with us this evening. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Um, As you know, this summer, uh, each speaker, we're going through the summer of Psalms. Um, Jim Umloff came up with that title. If uh, if we were Scottish, the first time I heard a Scottish preacher preach from a psalm, uh, they say Sam. I don't know why. And he, he said, turn to Sam 1. So I turned to 1 Samuel. Um, that's just, it made sense to me to turn to 1 Samuel. And then he started reading from the first psalm. And so I said, oh, well, Sam is psalm. So Jim Umloff's mind works like this. When he said, hey, summer of psalm, it came out summer of Sam, if you were Scottish. Um, well, that be aside, Psalm 23, uh, probably the most familiar psalm to most of us, Uh, perhaps the most familiar words in the Old Testament and even perhaps the most familiar words in the Bible. Everybody knows this psalm. Um, Pagans know it. If if we were Irish, we would sing it before soccer games. They do that over there. Um, And everybody knows this. Unbelievers, believers. Um, It's just a very, very, very familiar passage. I'm not sure if if, uh, Mark Twain is correct in saying that familiarity breeds contempt, but um, it can certainly breed a lack of concentration 
and a lack of focus because if you're over familiar with something, you think that you already understand it and you don't really need to look at it. So we need to guard against that tonight just because it is so familiar to us and the words are so common and we rehearse them. As a matter of fact, this week I was watching a television show where the little girl um, had gotten in trouble. She had done something pretty bad and, and the parents uh, were upset with her and she knew it. She knew she'd been caught. And the parents were in the living room and all you hear, you know, is, Ashley, get in here. And the little girl stood up and started to slowly walk towards the door and started going, The Lord is my shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, so even television shows are, are reciting this thing. Um, I've, I've heard it read in many occasions at funerals, bedsides. Um, I remember reading it to my grandfather as he lay in the hospital. Um, it's just a very comforting psalm to many people. But like I said, I, I want to guard against being over-familiar with it and thinking, hey, I've heard, I've heard it read 500 times. I've heard 100 sermons on it and pushing a button and checking out and saying, I know everything that has to say. There's nothing I can possibly learn from it. Um, psalm 23, often called the shepherd's psalm obviously from the first line. But if you'll look more closely and more carefully with, it, uh, with me at it, uh, you'll notice that that might not be the best title for it. Uh, there's actually three metaphors. The first in verses 1 to 3 is a shepherd and his sheep. In verse 4, there's the pilgrim and his companion. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then in verses 5 and 6, uh, there's a metaphor of a, the host and his guest. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so each of these three sections has a personal note from David, if you'll note it. Um, in verse 1, I shall not be in want. It speaks of the Lord's provision. In verse 4, I will fear no evil. And that speaks of the Lord's protection. And then in verse 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That speaks of the Lord's presence. And David is saying that God is sufficient in all three of these areas. He is sufficient in His provision, He is sufficient in His protection, and He is sufficient in His presence with us as our Lord. Um, it's difficult to grasp this. I don't know how many of you have actually thought about, is God really sufficient for me? Uh, do you really believe that God is sufficient? It's difficult for us in our society, um, a society that drives us to look at ourselves and put self at the center of everything so that we are self-sufficient. Um, everybody says, you know, we, we shouldn't depend on others. Um, if you go to a bookstore, the largest section in the bookstore is self-help. Um, everything has to do with centering on yourself. We're not supposed to depend on others because they'll always let us down, right? We're supposed to depend on ourselves. Um, but if we really think about that, if everybody else is going to let us down, we're going to let ourselves down sometime or another also. Um, but we're constantly bombarded with this need, you know, trust yourself, believe in yourself, uh, find yourself. That's, an, that's something, I don't know, maybe it's my generation. I, I want to find myself and so they want to go off to Africa or somewhere to find themselves. But become self-sufficient. And the idea of God being sufficient for us is just kind of pushed to the background or if it's there at all, just kind of relegated to the back. So let's see how God is sufficient. Verses 1 through 3. David gives us four things that the Lord does as our shepherd. If you'll notice them, he starts every sentence with he. Verse 2, he makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. He guides me. Now, nobody really knows when David wrote this. 
Uh, nobody knows the particular circumstances that were surrounding his life at the time. Nobody knows if he was really old when he wrote this or if he was a young man. I think perhaps he was probably a young man when he wrote it. Um, perhaps he was very young and he was tending his father, Jesse's sheep, um, on, the Judea, on the Judean hills outside of Judea. And perhaps he was sitting underneath a tree and watching the sheep and watching them mill around and graze and he thought, you know, these sheep need me. And then a thought occurs to him. But who's my shepherd? If I'm the shepherd of these sheep, I need a shepherd. Who is my shepherd? Who's going to be a shepherd to my soul? Who's going to do for these sheep? Who's going to do for me what I do for these sheep? And the thought occurs to him, and then in verse 1 it comes forth like a trumpet, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, it's not a shepherd. The Lord is not a shepherd. The Lord is not even the shepherd. Notice it. The Lord is my shepherd. It speaks of a personal relationship, a vital relationship. It means there's very personal level involved. My shepherd. But notice who it is that he calls the sh- his shepherd. Who is it? The Lord. If you'll notice it in the text, it's all in capitals, isn't it? In your text. All four letters are in capitals. And you'll note that most of you probably already know this. In the Old Testament, whenever you get the Lord in all four capital letters, it speaks of a specific name for the Lord. Um, It's the name that God gave to Moses in the burning bush. It speaks specifically of the covenant name of God. It's the name we usually translate Jehovah. It's the great name for God in all His self-sufficiency, the Creator of everything, the Almighty God, the One who stands outside of everything, the One who needs nothing but Himself, and the one who is sustaining and, and, and redeeming people for himself. This is the covenant God, Jehovah, that he's talking about. It's Jehovah, the great I Am, who created everything ex nihilo. That's my shepherd, he says. And it's because this Jehovah is my shepherd that I shall not be in want. It's because the Creator, the Almighty God, is my shepherd that I will not be in want. Um, there was a child in Sunday school that went up to her, to her teacher and uh, they had just finished reading the 23rd Psalm. She said, the Lord is my shepherd. Give me a piece of candy. And the teacher kind of was taken aback. She said, what? And she said, the Lord is my shepherd. Now give me a piece of candy. And she said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you just read, the Lord is my shepherd. I can have anything I want. And she said, that's not what it means. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. Why? Because He provides everything. And then he gives four areas in which he provides. Let's look at those. David says, Who will be my shepherd? Jehovah is my shepherd. And he gives us four things. Verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. That has to do with physical rest. Physical rest. We forget this part of the Lord's provision most of the time. At least I do. Our shepherd's care for us, Jehovah's care for us, is physical as well as spiritual. That's one of the reasons we need to learn as the flock of God not to abuse our bodies by putting ourselves involved in too many things, uh, taking on too much until we're just run down and worn out and totally useless um, and our bodies force us to stop. Sometimes we take on too too much, even in the Lord's service. Sometimes we're, you know, teaching five Bible studies and trying to help out with children's church and, you know, doing the the grape juice for the Lord's Supper, whatever it has to be, and we wear ourselves out and and then we're just totally useless because we've run ourselves down. This has to do with physical rest. Sometimes when I take on too much, every once in a while, my body just says, I'm not going any further. (laughs) It just shuts down. And I have to lay in bed for a couple of days. 
And uh, as I heard one preacher say, that's just the Almighty giving you a shot across your bows. Um, And that's what he does for us. That's the Lord's mercy sometimes. He forces us to stop and rest. Uh, Look look at what he says. Look at what Jehovah does. He makes me lie down. (laughs) He doesn't ask me to lie. He makes me lie down. I have to lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That literally just means in comfortable places. It doesn't have anything to do with feeding. Um, Because if you'll know, um, sheep don't feed lying down. Did you know that? I didn't didn't know that. I read that somewhere. But sheep never feed lying down. They feed standing up. So if if, if he's making us lie down, it has to do with physical rest. And he makes us lie down in comfortable places. But some of us need to learn that lesson of pacing ourselves in our life, not taking on too much and recognizing when we need nothing as much as we just need to physically sleep and rest and take a break. God did this with Elijah, you remember? When Elijah was tired and weary from his journey, he said, take a rest. Go and have a rest. And he provided rest for him. You must never be afraid of it. Never be afraid to take a rest. Secondly, he leads me beside quiet waters. That means he gives us emotional peace. Literal translation says, he leads me beside waters of many kinds of rest. Emotional restoration. When our emotions are frazzled and they're, they're kind of all over the place and we're not sure what we're feeling, I didn't, I didn't know people could do that um, but until I got married. I, you know, something's wrong, honey, what's wrong? I'm not sure. I, I, never, I never understood that, but apparently that can happen. Um, so I just, I'm learning all the time. But that, isn't that one of the purposes of coming to places like this and coming to church on Sunday morning so that we can worship and submit ourselves to the preaching of God's Word? And have our emotions restored, our emotional center regathered. So there's something about that. The Lord provides that in the preaching of His Word. It's it's a way to focus our emotions again and and get rebalanced and restored emotionally. That's part of it. But so that we might be refreshed and receive emotional restoration from God. Third, He gives His sheep spiritual restoration. Look at it. He restores my soul. Now David has moved from talking about sheep, hasn't he? We need to learn to leave the metaphors when the Scriptures leave them behind. Sheep don't have souls. <laughs> right? He's not talking about sheep. He restores my soul. Um, Jehovah cares for us physically and emotionally, but most of all, the Lord cares for the reviving of our soul. Knowing about the shepherd is never a substitute for knowing the shepherd. You can know all about the shepherd and not know him. Spiritual renewal is always found by deepening your relationship with Jehovah. And sometimes it's just as simple as shutting your door and opening the Word and just spending time with Christ and His Word. You ever heard of George B. Duncan? He was a preacher. And uh, the verse in Philippians that says, To me, to live is Christ. He had a great sermon about that. It's called uh, The Christian Life in Six Words. To me, to live is Christ. And he said, To me, it is something personal. To me. It is something personal in my acceptance of Christ, in my allegiance to Christ. To live, it is something practical. Every moment may be spent with Him. Every matter may be shared with Him. Is Christ. It is something possible. I've forgotten the last part. It is something possible. It is available to all. It is attainable by all. But listen to that second part. 
to me to live. It is something practical. Every moment may be spent with him. Every matter may be shared with him. Do you know that to be true in your own life, in your own walk with Christ? Are you now sharing every moment with Christ and spending every moment with him? Are you sharing every matter with him? Or are there things you hold on to? No, I don't want to pray about that. I don't want to talk about that with Christ. I can take care of that myself. There's never a time in your life when you don't need to grow closer to Christ. Never. We should be always seeking to know Him. Sometimes we need to go aside for a week or so. And just as Revelation 3 talks about dine with Him, if any man opens, here's my, here's my knock and opens the door, I will come in and eat with Him. The word is dikneso. That means the supper. It's not just like grabbing a couple of crackers on the way out the door. It's not a snack. It's talking about putting your feet underneath the table with Jesus. Do you have your feet underneath the table with Christ? Are you spending time with Him regularly? Fourth, not only is Jehovah sufficient for our physical rest and our emotional peace and our spiritual renewal, but He's also sufficient, look at it, for our moral guidance. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. For His namesake. That's God's great concern. When I was 11, I went to New Zealand with my grandparents um, I don't know if any of you know anything about New Zealand. I didn't and probably still don't know much, but it's, it's kind of rainy, um, kind of very humid, and there's always kind of a mist and lots of hills and rocks jutting out of the hills and lots of grass and tons of sheep everywhere. Uh, well, they put on shows all the time there uh, for tourists, I guess. It's kind of a trade. Um, they, they put on shows where they'll have their dogs run across the backs of the sheep and bark at the sheep, and the sheep kind of do what the dogs tell them, I guess. I don't know if they understand dog or not, but they kind of go where the dogs guide them to go. Uh, the, the dog will jump and run across the backs of the sheep um, and will guide them around. It's, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. But the biggest thing about the sheep there is that they shear them. And they have this part, you can pay a little extra, and so my grandparents said, sure, go ahead, here's a little extra, you know, occupy them for a few minutes. And uh, I, he, they give you the shears, the little razor, and you go, and shave all the, the wool off the sheep. Um, and the guy has to hold the sheep's leg and all this kind of stuff so you can get to it. Well, while I was doing that, one of the flock took off. Just one sheep, for no apparent reason, out of the flock, just took off running towards the road. The guy that was holding my sheep was the shepherd. The, the head guy in charge dropped what he was doing and said, stop, don't shear anymore. You might hurt the sheep and yourself. And took off after the sheep. The dogs had apparently lost control. And so he goes off after the sheep and he catches up with it and he brings it back. And one of the people in our tourist group or whatever said, hey, were you afraid that she might get hurt? And he said, well, yeah, she, she might have gotten hurt, but that's not the real reason I did it. That's not the real reason I go after the sheep. He said, you see that? And he pointed at a spot on the sheep's ear. And there was a mark on the sheep's ear. He said, that's my mark. That means that sheep is mine. She's one of my sheep. And everybody knows that mark. Everybody, all my neighbors know that that's my mark and that this is my sheep. And if they catch my sheep wandering around on their land, they're going to know that I don't take very good care of my sheep and that I'm a poor shepherd. That's exactly what's going on here. Why does God keep us on the path of righteousness? It's for His name's sake. It's because everybody else around here knows that we're His. <laughs> we belong to Him. We're His sheep. And so He guides us in paths of righteousness for His namesake. He's sufficient to enable us to obey Him. 
That's the sheep and the shepherd. Then verse 4. We come to a new metaphor. He's now left the sheep and the shepherd. We come to a new metaphor. The pilgrim and his companion. Um, the whole tone of the psalm changes here. I mean, we've gone from green pastures and quiet waters now to dark valleys, right? Um, this is a totally different tone for everything. And so far, something else changes too. Did you notice it in verse 4? So far, David has been talking in the third person. He. He did it four times. He makes me. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. Then what happens? Clouds come in. Darkness comes in. Trouble comes in. And what does he do? He immediately drops the third person and goes to the second person. You. (laughs) Now he's not just talking about the shepherd. He's talking to him. That's true in our own life, I think. When everything's going well, when everything is green pastures and quiet waters, we're pretty content to just talk about God. But boy, let trouble come in and what do we do? We hit our knees quick and say, you. We go to Him on a personal level. We stop talking about Him and start talking to Him. Well, nowhere does the Bible lead us to believe that the life of faith is, all, is lived entirely in green pastures and still waters. It's very realistic. Um, sometimes there are deep, dark valleys. Literal translation says, uh, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the deepest darkness. And it includes every dark moment in our life, not just death, although it includes the deepest darkness, which is death. Now, how can David say that through every valley, even the final dark valley of death, he will fear no evil? How is it that David can say that? It's because the Lord Jehovah's protection is as sufficient as His provision that we just saw. This tells that the Lord is sufficient to protect us from every form of evil, every kind of evil. This is what the Lord tells Abraham in Genesis 15. Do you remember this? Abraham is in a state of fear. He's afraid to go forward. Lot is angry at him. And the Lord comes to him and says, Do not be afraid, for I am your shield. He didn't say, I have provided you with a shield. He says, I am your shield. And this is a picture of a father with his child protecting the child, guarding that child as the shield, taking the blows himself so that the child will not have to endure them. Now, there's a lot of um, illustrations about this in the Scripture and every other place too. David says that all my life might crash around me, but as long as you are with me, I can handle it. I may be in pain, but as long as you are with me, I can handle it. It's the presence of the Lord. Um, Some of the illustrations in Scripture, I'll just give you two very quickly. Moses in Exodus 33. Do you remember this passage? The Lord is saying, I'm going to send you up into Canaan, into the promised land, into the land that I promised Isaac and, and your fathers. And He says, now Moses... You take the people and I'll send my angel ahead of you and my angel ahead of you will, will clear out all of, the, all of the riffraff, the Hittites and the Jebusites and all these people that are occupying the land and they'll drive them out and you'll, be, you'll have the land flowing with milk and honey. You'll have my word. You'll have my promises. But I am not going to go with you. And what does Moses say? Lord, then don't send us if you're not going to go with us. I don't care if I have your blessing. I don't care if I have your protection. I don't care if I have your promises. I don't care if I have a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't care if I have an inheritance. If you're not with me, all is lost. On the other side in the Scripture, you see Samson 
In Judges chapter 16, you remember the story of Samson, um, the strong judge that was delivering Israel at the time. And you remember his, his secret was that his hair was not to be cut or he would lose all his strength. And so he toyed around with Delilah as he shouldn't have. And um, he disobeyed God and Delilah shaved his head because he told her about it in the middle of the night. And she said, wake up. The, the Philistines are upon you. And you remember what happened? He got up and went out to fight them as before. And the text says, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. It's one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. And what happened? He was captured. He was put in chains. They put his eyes out. They blinded him. And they made a mockery of him because the Lord was no longer with him. The presence of the Lord is everything. Maybe a little more silly illustration comes from The Lion King, the Disney movie. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen it, but Mufasa is the king, the lion, and his voice is James Earl Jones. Anybody? That's, he's got the most amazing voice. And everybody in the kingdom just loves Mufasa, unless they're wicked, of course, and then they hate him because they can't get away with anything. And they're afraid of him. The bad guys are afraid of him, or the bad animals, whatever they are. And so uh, Mufasa has a son named Simba. And Simba's just a lion cub, but he's kind of mischievous. And so um, Simba decides with one of his friends that he's going to go off to this place where his, his father Mufasa, the king, told him not to go. And he wanders off and he gets lost and pretty soon he's cornered by a pack of hyenas. And the hyenas are closing in on him and he decides, well, there's nothing else left to do. I'm going to try to scare them and growl and roar at them. So little Simba the cub braces himself and all the music comes to a head and he goes, grr. And the hyenas just fall. Of course, they're laughing hyenas. They die laughing. So they fall out and they fall over. And they say, oh, that's too much. Do it again. Do it again. So he braces himself again and goes, Roar! and this roar comes out. And the, the hyenas, and you know, Simba is just as surprised as the hyenas are. And they take off at high speed down the road. And, you know, Simba kind of looks at himself like, how did that come out of me? And he's looking at the, the hyenas running off and he kind of gives them that look like, yeah, and don't come back. And then he turns around and right behind him is his dad, the king, Mufasa. That's who did the growl and that's why they're running. Well, that's exactly what happens with us. The Lord Jehovah is the one who is with us. He is our protection. It's not our growl that they're afraid of, that the evil will run from. It's the great one with his sword standing behind us, protecting us. Jehovah is sufficient as a host and as guests. Just as an incidental comment on, on verse 4 as well. Jehovah is with me, so I will fear no evil. Um, Alec Mateer is a commentator that I read on this. And he said, the darker the shadow, the closer the Lord. I like that. The darker the shadow, the closer the Lord. Lastly, Jehovah is sufficient as a host for his guests. Verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Notice now the problem isn't with the psalmist's circumstances. He's not going through a deep, dark valley of circumstances. He hasn't lost his job now. Now the problem is people, right? Enemies. And let's face it. People can cause us more pain than circumstances. Sometimes people can be the devil's sharpest instruments against us. And the devil can use them. But David says, you prepare a table in the most unlikely of places. <laughs> and all three things, the table that he prepares, 
the anointing of the head and the cup overflowing have to do with this lavish hospitality. But looks where, look where it takes place. It takes place in the face of his enemies. <laughs> and he says, you're doing all of this stuff right in my enemies' faces to show that I am your child, to show that I belong to you. But the most important thing about God's hospitality comes in verse 6. The most important thing about God's hospitality is that God's hospitality is not occasional. It's not sporadic. It's all the days of my life. Did you notice that? All the days of my life. Not some, not every week on a Friday. All the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy is the better translation. Mercy will follow me all the days of my life. They're consistent, his blessings are. So the believer is surrounded by Jehovah's provision, by Jehovah's protection. And wherever he goes, Jehovah is with him. His presence. In closing, notice the three statements that David makes about the Lord in in the psalm. In verse 2, you have, He leads me. In verse 4, He is with me. In verse 6, He is following me. Did you notice that? leads me, with me, following me. Did you see that? The Lord Jehovah is with His sheep. Now, I've heard that the shepherds in the east are never behind their sheep or with their sheep. They, they lead their sheep. Well, that's where the metaphor would break down. Um, but this is where Jehovah is shown to be the ideal shepherd. Where other shepherds might fall asleep on the job, Jehovah never does. Jehovah is not only the one who is before me, He is the one who is behind me. He is the one who is beside me. He is the one who is in me. He is the one who has redeemed me. He is the one who has saved me. Do you see this? And His sufficiency is utterly complete. And after the hospitality of the Lord has ended in this life, look at the end of verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And when this life is over, what? Then I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Then, when we are with Him forever in His house, His presence will be everything to us. Did you know this? Then we will know Him not through a glass darkly. We will know Him face to face. And His presence and looking upon Him and seeing Him and knowing Him will be everything. It will be our all. We will have no distractions. He will be our focus. He will be our everything. But the question really is, He's supposed to be that for us now. Is He your everything now? Is God your everything, your all-sufficient one now? Is Jehovah sufficient for you as a shepherd, as a companion, as a host, as a redeemer? Is the blood of Christ really sufficient to pay for your sin? Do you really believe that? Or do you think there's something else you have to do? The Lord is my shepherd. How is it that we're able to call the Lord my shepherd? How is it that He not just He doesn't just remain a shepherd or the shepherd? How is it that He becomes my shepherd? Notice Psalm 22 comes before Psalm 23 for very good reason. What's Psalm 22? It starts with, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" 
It's the cry of dereliction that Christ utters on the cross. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 is a psalm about the cross. The only way any of us can know God Jehovah as our shepherd is if we accept the appropriated sacrifice on the cross. That's why the cross comes before the shepherding. He is the all-sufficient one as a Savior. Is Jesus' blood really sufficient for you? Or do you carry around guilt? If His blood's really sufficient, do away with your guilt. Do away with it. It's paid for. Great illustration of that. Um, I had a friend who went to dinner with his wife one time and he noticed that this couple was out, this young couple, they were about 16, and he could tell it was a first date. There was just that tension all over the room. And, you know, the guy was kind of nervous and kind of smiling and they were at this kind of nice restaurant and, you know, he had his hair slicked back and the girl was all prettied up. And, and uh, he, he said, well, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And he said he noticed the little, you know, 16-year-old guy getting up and going to the bathroom and, and kind of checking how much money he had. And so he put it back in his pocket and, and said, hey, you want to get some dessert? You know, he determined that he had enough money to get dessert. And she said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll get some dessert. And, and so my friend called the waiter over and said, you see that, that couple over there? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, I want to pay for their dinner, but don't tell them that I paid for it. Don't tell them who paid for it. Just tell them it's paid for. And so he said, okay. So he brought my friend the check. My friend paid the bill. And he said he watched the guy say, hey, we're ready for the check. And the waiter said, no, sir, it's paid for. And, you know, the girl was like, let's go. Come on. You know, I got great ways you can spend that money. Come on. And the guy just, it, he couldn't wrap his mind around it. It paid for. Who paid for it? And he said, I can't tell you that, sir. I just, I was told to tell you it's taken care of. And he said for the next four minutes, the 16-year-old guy walked around after him like, no, I've got this money here. You don't understand. I'm supposed to pay my bill. Ta- please take this money. You know. And finally, the waiter turned around and said, shut up. It's paid for. Get out of here. A lot of times I think that's exactly what the Holy Spirit must be saying to us. Quit nursing your guilt. It's paid for. Go on. It's paid for by somebody else. And He is the one who is sufficient to discharge it. Do you know God's sufficiency in every area of life? Every area of life. Because it's one thing to say, yeah, I need God. But it's much different to say God is all I need.